Good morning. My name is Jeff Mickey, and I am really glad to be here with you this morning. It's been a few weeks, and um, I'm glad to be kicking off this new series on the book of John. As Randy said, we're going to be spending the next four weeks going through the first four chapters of the Gospel of John. And uh, many of you know the word gospel means good news, and that this is John's very personal account of his experience of that good news in Jesus. And, um, and he wrote it. He wrote this book for one reason. He actually tells us this reason uh, near the end of the book where he says he's inviting us to experience for ourselves the good news of Jesus and believe that he, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, that's who he is. And that by believing this, we will encounter Jesus for ourselves and come to know how good he is and be able to trust him to lead us to our best life. This got me thinking, what's the best invitation you've ever received? Best one you've ever gotten. I don't know if you know this, but last month I was invited by Vivek Ramaswamy to have dinner at the Elks Club. The presidential candidate, in fact, I have proof, I got this text, and he says he looks forward to meeting me and my family. And he wanted me there so much, he texted me repeatedly. (laughs) I know, you're probably jealous, I'm kind of a big deal. And unfortunately, we weren't able to attend. Uh, Dave Bartlett said he keeps getting invitations to dinner as well, if he'll get his hearing checked. (laughs) We get some really good invitations sometimes, don't we, that maybe seem too good to be true. I also got an invitation, however, one time. from this girl that I had dated when I was in high school. We were both in school at Iowa, and she invited me one fall to go to a Newman Singers concert um, down in Iowa City. And it turns out to be the best invitation I ever got because this summer we celebrated 31 years of marriage together. Yeah. Thank you. So sometimes we get invited to things, and it's like, oh, that sounds way too good to be true. And sometimes it's like, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But until we say yes, we don't really know what the invitation holds for us. And sometimes when we say yes, it's something better than we could ever imagine. And I think that's what John is inviting us into this morning. In fact, he's inviting us to experience God in three different ways. He's inviting us to encounter Jesus as creator, as the God who created the world and everything in it. He's inviting us to experience Jesus as the fullness of God's grace and truth. And then he's inviting us to experience Jesus as family. In fact, he invites us to become children of God. We just sang about that. John says, if we will accept this invitation and take time to experience Jesus in these ways, we will have our own life-giving, life-changing encounter with God. That's a really bold claim. And for some of us, maybe it sounds too good to be true. But there's only one way to find out. Say yes to John's invitation. He actually makes this invitation and lays all of this out in the first 14 verses of the book, in the first 14 verses of chapter 1. And it's, it's a prologue, actually, where he's giving a short summary of all that he experienced and what he learned by doing life with Jesus. And we might be tempted to skip a prologue because... It's a prologue. 
And when we dive into this prologue, it's like chock full of all of these metaphors. And it can get a little bit confusing, and, and you may not see the invitation, but I wanted us so much to catch the magnitude of this that I thought back to the best prologue ever. And I thought we should maybe lean on that to help us understand this, the magnitude of this, this invitation. So we're going to try this, okay? Um, go ahead um, and start the video. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who did believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Do you catch John's excitement here? Like this is a big deal. This is a huge invitation to meet Jesus as Creator, God of unfailing love and faithfulness to join his family as a child of God. Do you see that invitation? If not, that's okay. The first time I read this book, I was actually invited by my young life leader who had, had said, hey, Jesus wants to invite you to follow him, and one of the best things you can do to start off is to read the book of John. That's where you're going to learn most about Jesus right away and about who God is. And so I started reading and I read those words, those first sentences, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I stopped and I thought, what in the world? The Word? Like, the Word was with God, and the Word is God? Which, which is it? And who is this, this Word? It made, like, zero sense to me. But then you figure out pretty quickly that John is using the word, word, as a metaphor for Jesus. And it dawns on me, you know, when you really want to get to know someone, how do they get to know, how do you get to know them? How do they get to know you when you want them to know you as well? We talk to each other. They can't know what we're really thinking or feeling unless we tell them. Our thoughts and our feelings are invisible to those around us until we express them. And we most often express them through words. Deep connections are made when we share our innermost uh, beliefs and thoughts and values. And this primarily happens through spoken word. How do we get to know an invisible God? He tells us who he is most through his word. And John says Jesus is his word. 
John's telling us if we long to know who God is and what God is like, what he thinks and what he does, Jesus is the best way for us to do that. Jesus is God's most personal word to us. He is the verbal expression of God, God's voice. But Jesus is far more than a great teacher or a prophet who speaks for God. John wants us right away to know from the start that Jesus is God. John invites us to experience the word as the creator of the world and everything in it. And more than any of the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, John wants us to understand the divine nature of Jesus. He wants us to know that the Jesus he spent time with, the Jesus who's inviting us to follow him, is none other than God, the creator in human form. And he says God created everything through Jesus and nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything that he created. He spoke and the stars lit up the sky and galaxies started to spin. He spoke again and, and set the sun on fire in the sky. And he spoke and, and the land started to appear as the water started to recede. And then he scooped down and he picked up some of that mud and that dust and he formed man and woman in his image. And he breathed life into them. And that life continues going and growing. Jesus' imprint, his mark, is on every part of his creation, including you and me. In fact, one author suggests if you could get a microscope powerful enough to see the tiniest particles inside of us and around us in the world, you'd find the stamp made by J.C. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus made the universe in his sustaining life all things by his powerful word. And he tells us that he did it for one reason, to make himself known. The invisible God wants us to know him. And we can begin to do this through his creation. This summer I got to get away for a few weeks and I got to climb the mountains of Colorado and catch a new perspective from 14,000 feet. See the vastness of these mountains, how huge they are, right? How small I am. I got to go to the ocean as well and feel the power of waves, right? Lifting me up and carrying me 40 or 50 feet. Rolling me over sometimes, sometimes settling me down gentle. And then we got to see these dolphins playing in the water, chasing fish, chasing each other. It was absolutely captivating. It's like the beauty and the wild nature of God just making himself known. I also got to see the deep love and pure joy in my son's face after proposing to his girlfriend in Boston. And thankfully, we saw that same joy and love in her face. <laughs> More important, we experienced God's image reflected in the love and the hospitality that her family entire family shared with us. It was remarkable. Unless you think you have to go out and get away and go on trips and stuff to see God's creation, encounter him. I went for a walk one day 
here in Cedar Falls, out in George with, and, and, um, and I came upon this scene, and I couldn't help myself. It was like all these turtles, like soaking up the sun, right, on this log. And so then I, I wanted to walk and get a little bit closer, and then I saw this as, I, as it happened. I don't know if you can see that, but all of the turtles like jump off like right away at the same time. In fact, you can actually hear me laugh. I'd laugh out loud as these turtles. I never knew they could move quite so fast. That's how it is, I think, with Jesus, right? He's, he's in every moment of creation, in every interaction. He's like, it's like these divine sparks where God is bursting in to make himself known through every interaction. In every moment of every day through his creation, if we'll just pay attention. Not only does he create, but he wants to recreate us. And it's almost impossible not to respond when we experience this, whether it's in joy or laughing out loud or awe or worship. I think we even see these divine sparks in our own natural desires, like for a really good cup of coffee. Or maybe for some real ice cream, like really good ice cream, right? Or maybe it's in great music. Or maybe our desire to see an offense that can score more than 13 points a game. These all point to divine sparks of eternity that God has placed inside of us. Like our bodies even react physically when we get to experience these good gifts from God. And and then we, we also long for more. And we long for better, better relationships, more joy, more peace, right? These are divine sparks of God in us, his eternity that he's placed in us, inviting us to follow Jesus to a better life that only he can provide. John's inviting us to experience Jesus as creator just like he did. And I think one way that we can do that today or this week is to take time to pay attention to these divine sparks in nature, in people, in everyday moments, and just allow yourself to be in that moment and soak it in. Just marinate it until God's presence and and that spark that is just released through your appreciation or your wonder or your joy. Maybe it's laughter, maybe it's tears, maybe it's just worship. John also invites us to experience Jesus as the fullness of God's grace and truth. He says this is how he experienced Jesus. Here are his words about this. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Again, Maybe these words don't really capture the sheer thrill of John's experience. It's kind of like me trying to tell you how loud and how exciting it was when Cooper Jejean took the punt return 70 yards a week ago for the winning touchdown against Michigan State. Kinnick Stadium has been waiting for a moment like this for months, right? Here's this moment, and it just erupted. And it was glorious. And maybe you heard about it. 
Maybe you're a Cyclone fan and you ignored it. Maybe you watched it on TV, but if you weren't there, you have no idea how loud and how epic it really was. That's what John's trying to tell us, how amazing it was, how glorious it was to get to do life with Jesus. He says, we saw his glory, his absolute goodness that can only come, it can only come from the Son of God. I mean, he was full of grace and truth, both full of this loving kindness and full of faithfulness. In the rest of this book, John shares stories about what this looked like, how everywhere Jesus went, he showed his love and his compassion to the rich and the poor, the sick and the healthy, men and women, righteous and sinners, even people who were awful to him. One miracle after another, blessing after blessing. It was mind-blowing grace upon grace and truth. That phrase, the word grace, kind of pops out at us, probably because John repeats it so much. But John says Jesus is full of grace and truth. And I'm curious what you think of when you hear the other word, truth. For some reason, I tend to think of right and wrong when I hear the word truth. I think it's because when I hear people talk about John's words here, about Jesus being full of grace and truth, I hear like this debate, like, oh, well, he's describing this right way to live, and there's a wrong way to live, and other people saying, well, yeah, but it's grace. You don't have to worry about any of that, because grace covers it all. And even though it's unpopular, I do think that John's word about Jesus being full of truth has something to do with God's standards, with God's moral law. But truth is so much bigger than this. Truth is greater than right or wrong. In fact, according to Jesus, truth is a person. He tells us that he is the truth, the way, and the life. John already described Jesus as the Word. Jesus speaks for God, communicating God's truth when he teaches and he interacts with others. And in Jesus' most well-known teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he lays out some of this truth. Does he just lay down the moral law about the right way to live and the wrong way to live? He does talk about morals. He does address things like adultery and divorce and murder. But he also talks about dealing with anxiety and about investing in things that will last forever and about how to talk to God to build a relationship with him and how to talk to others to build our best relationships with others. It's so much bigger than simply right and wrong. And Jesus is describing our best way to live here and now. These are God's grace-filled, high expectations, right? He's, he's laying out for us, how do we really love God and love others? 
And Jesus says, if we'll put his words into practice, we will build a life that's secure and solid, that will be able to withstand the storms that blow into our lives. And then Jesus models what it looks like to live this way, full of grace and truth. And for Jesus, these two were never separated. They were always together, grace and truth. You know, some of us in this room, I think, grew up believing that truth could be discovered, right? That through reason, through research, we could discover truth. And then there's others of us in the room who were taught that there is no absolute truth, only our experiences. I think Jesus is inviting us to meet him in the middle, right? By inviting us to follow him and get an experience of his grace and truth. You don't have to believe like every one of his words to start following him as truth. But we're all invited to take his words and to try them out and see what kind of life do they actually produce. What kind of relationships are we able to build with others and with God by putting into practice what Jesus teaches We'll, we'll never be able to get it perfect. Right? We'll never be able to live this life perfectly that Jesus lays out for us, but that's not the point. Right? There's grace for us to keep going, to keep living into Jesus' truth. A couple of ways, I think, for us to do this. One, I'd encourage you to continue to read with us these first four chapters of the book of John and observe what Jesus taught and how he lived. And what does this say about God's grace and truth? And then I'd encourage you to ask God if there's something that he taught that, that he would like to help you with, right? Is there something that you can put into practice over the next week or the next few weeks and accept his grace to help you put that into practice? And when you fail, keep going and accept his grace and then pay attention to how you experience Jesus, how it impacts your life, to see if his words aren't indeed true about how to build our best lives. Last week, I, uh, I tried this by um, putting into practice not to worry. And so I, every time I would start to get anxious about something, I just simply said, God, I trust you, and I trust that you are with me and that you will help me. I prayed that right before I walked up on stage, right? Sometimes things are stressful. It doesn't necessarily mean that those situations go away, right? But all of a sudden, I've experienced more peace, less stress as I step into those harder things. There's one more invitation here in, uh, in this book, and it's the clearest invitation from John, and I think the best invitation from John. Um, he invites us to experience Jesus as family. And he tells us this when he says, you know, there were a lot of people who rejected Jesus or a lot of people who ignored Jesus, didn't know him, but to all who believe and all who accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. John's whole motivation for this book is summed up right here, right? This incredible invitation for us to be adopted as God's own son, his own daughter, to be part of Jesus' family. It's an invitation to anyone and everyone.
to all who believe and welcome him. And John shares this story uh, near the end of this chapter about two of John the Baptist's disciples who go and they start following Jesus when John the Baptist points out who he is. And they're literally following him and Jesus turns around and says, what do you guys want? And they're like, uh, where are you staying? Like, you know, they didn't have a better response than that. And Jesus says, well, come and see. And they go and they spend an afternoon with Jesus. And we have no idea really what happened on that afternoon that they spent with him. All we know is that when that day ended, they run off to tell their brother and a friend, we found the Savior, we found the chosen one that Moses and all the prophets wrote about. And Philip's friend Nathaniel is a bit skeptical when he hears that this one that they're talking about is Jesus from Nazareth. And he says, nothing good could ever come from Nazareth. But he goes anyway. And Andrew's brother Simon goes as well. And Jesus gives Simon a new name. He saw, you're Cephas, you're Peter, which means rock. And he tells Nathaniel, ah, here's a true Israelite. There's no deceit in you. Like, you always speak the truth which can be annoying sometimes, right? Like those friends who don't know when to maybe hold back a little bit. But what Jesus is doing is he's looking at these guys and he's saying, I see you. I see who you want to be. I see who you can become. I see who you aren't quite yet. But he speaks to who he wants to help them to become. And they sense in these words this fullness of God's grace and truth as he kind of calls out their weaknesses, but says, I'm going to redeem this and turn this into your greatest strength. And he wants to do that for us as well, to step toward him in our weakness and accept his words to welcome him so that he can lead us to our best life. These guys spent part of one day. How well could they actually know Jesus? There's so much they didn't know about him, about what he was going to teach, about where he was going to lead them. But they did know that he was a great teacher, that he seemed to have a uniquely intimate relationship with God, and that he knew things about them that only someone as close as a brother could know. And so they believed and welcomed. John doesn't say you have to believe strongly. You have to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's a gracious invitation to accept Jesus, to welcome him, and simply believe what you know of him. He says, whoever accepts him, not impresses or earns something, but, but welcomes him, is invited to this unspeakable privilege of being a child of God. John's inviting us to welcome and experience Jesus as creator, as grace and truth, and as family to have our own encounter so that we can become children of God by welcoming and believing Jesus. How will you do that this week? Will you pray with me? Jesus, uh, you know, we just finished this series on, on journey and we all get to have our own journey with you and now John comes along and he tells us, here's some ways that maybe we can have this journey 
and maybe we're just starting and we haven't really experienced you as creator, as giver of life, and we need that experience. Or maybe, Lord, we're just in need of your grace and your truth to be able to accept what you're speaking to us, to give us your weakness, to give us our, your, our strengths, to help you shape us into who what we want to be and who you know we can be. God, help us to take steps, to, to put your word into, our, into practice this week, to enjoy your good gifts and your creation, to know that you have more for us, and to follow you, Lord, as children of God, so privileged, so blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.